Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. All right. So, Jeff, this is episode 77. 77. Incredible. But I'm wondering, for this particular episode, shouldn't we say this is episode 77th? As in the 4077? Ah, that's pretty cool. Yes, this is the episode 4077th. Yes. Or we could sing the 77 Sunset Strip song. 77 Sunset Strip. And many of you do not know what I'm talking about, do you? But that's okay. <laughs> kooky, lend me your comb, right? Kooky, kooky, lend me your comb. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it takes me back. All you youngsters can Google it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you see Cookie in his hair. It's great. It's great. You'll love it. So this is welcome to the 77 Sunset Strip <laughs> Podcast. I'm Cookie. <laughs> all right, Ryan. I'm sorry. That's a good start, isn't it? That's okay. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> well, here we are. Episode 7-7th of MASH Matters. I'm Ryan Patrick. He's Jeff Maxwell. And we've got a lot of uh, listener questions to get to today. Yeah. But before we jump into that, I want to go back and do a little housekeeping from our last episode. Well, not the last episode. The last episode, we talked to the wonderful Eileen Saki. But before that, we did our season six recap. And we had a few uh, listeners write in about that particular episode, including George. George said, great episode as usual. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, George. About your criticism of Fallen Idol, you point out an apparent inconsistency with all of the drinking the doctors do with the criticism against Hawkeye for getting drunk in this episode. There was a huge difference in the drinking in this episode. Hawkeye had to leave the OR in the middle of a surgery to go puke. Sure, the doctors drink a lot in this show, but it never affects their ability in the OR except for this episode. Huge difference, meaningful difference. You pointed out that Potter was falling down drunk in the very next episode. Yeah, but was it in the OR? Okay, George, good point. Yes, we would see the doctors drinking a lot, but we never saw them drunk in the OR. But I always wondered, when they're all sitting around drinking this homemade gin or uh, drinking in the officer's club, how do they know that they're not going to be needed in the OR? You know, I mean, it's not like these were scheduled surgeries. They don't know when wounded are going to show up. If they're tying one on, they're getting blitzed. They don't know that any moment now, the loudspeaker is going to tell them incoming wounded. It's all, you know, it's fictitious. And I understand where you're coming from, George. Yes, but I still have issues with it. Yeah. And, and actually, this concept makes me nervous about my own surgery. I'm not <laughs> sure I trust him anymore or her. Yeah. Just take a breathalyzer test yeah. before they cut you open. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Scalpel, would you breathe into this, please? <laughs> we need to get a sample. Thank you. Ken says, Ryan and Jeff. He got that right. Mm -hmm. After listening to your latest podcast, The Smell of Season 6, I have to add one other comment about Hamilton Camp. In addition to his acting talents, he would team up with Bob Gibson, the folk singer, not the baseball pitcher, and play the folk music circuit in Chicago, most notably at a nightclub called the Gate of Horn. Just thought I'd pass that along. Well, that's pretty cool. Well, he was a talented guy. One time you sang for the glory but the glory didn't last very long Through the haze of the stage You look back to the days 
when, when you, you used to sing for the song. I had no idea. Yeah, didn't know. And so I went to the Google machine, yeah. typed in their names, and lo and behold, I found audio from an entire concert on YouTube. Wow. We will put the link to that concert in our show notes. And they actually used to play with lo and behold. Yeah. They formed, they were going to do it as a group, but they said, yeah. And man. then they went solo. Lo went on his right. way. Behold went on her way. And it was just never the same. Never the same. Brian says, hi, Jeff and Ryan. MASH is my favorite TV show of all time. I'm a big fan of MASH Matters. I never miss an episode, and I save and revisit them, especially those that include the interviews. I'm thankful to both of you for doing it and for all the wonderful guests that you've had on the program and all the insight you've added. Appreciation. Respect. Ryan, you mentioned in the latest episode that season six included two of your least favorite episodes, but unless I missed it, you didn't identify them. Mm. I'm curious which episodes you have in mind and hope you share that perspective. My two least favorite MASH episodes are in season six as well. And uh, Brian then goes on to explain his reasoning for choosing his two least favorite episodes. Hmm. His two least favorite episodes are Comrades in Arms Part 2 and The Smell of Music. Mm-hmm. You are correct, Brian. I did not identify them. I said I was not going to identify them. And I, I just, I don't think I should. You know, there's so much negativity in the world. I don't want to contribute to the negativity. I know that if I said blah, blah, blah is my least favorite episode, somebody out there is going to be horribly offended because that will be their favorite episode. Even though they're wrong, I don't want them to feel (laughs) bad about that. You know, that's very nice of you. That's very kind to have that positive kind of thing in the world instead of saying, yes, this is terrible. I, for one, my least favorite episodes in season six were one through 24. (laughs) I think that was how many, ever many there were. Those are the ones I didn't like. I'll just say, Jeff, I share your opinion on two of those. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That narrows it down. Yeah. All right. And I'm not going to reveal exactly which 24 I'm talking about. (laughs) Right. Thank you. I don't want to be negative either. Uh, but, uh, Brian, I, Brian, I will say this of your two least favorite mash episodes in season six, one of those may or may not be also one of my least favorite episodes. Ah. And Donna writes, uh, Hey, Jeff and Ryan, I just want to say that I love this podcast. Thank you, Donna. Okay. Next. <laughs> what else do we need to say? I, okay. I'm just kidding. I, By the way, yeah. these are, now we're just jumping into listener questions. Oh, I. I'm sorry. Yes. We're done with the season six recap. Now we're moving on. Whew, thank goodness. Okay. Uh, hi, Jeff and Ryan. I just want to say that I love this podcast. And this is from Donna, by the way. And I've always loved MASH. The series predates my existence by three months. <laughs> so it's always been in my life. Growing up, we watched it with dinner every night. And it got to the point where my father and I would make a game out of seeing who could figure out which episode was on the quickest. We had gotten to the point where one of us would often recognize the episode within 30 seconds. And I remember what a big deal it was to get to stay up and watch the finale. Jeff, I really enjoy hearing your remembrances. And Ryan, I thought I was a big fan, but you know stories and info I've never heard before. Anyway, here's my question. Do either of you know why Johnny Hamer's Zale left in 1979 to be replaced by G.W. Bailey's Rizzo? Thanks, guys, and keep up the great work. Okay, Ryan, go. (laughs) Oh, I was going to say, Jeff, go. (laughs) Okay. Uh This could be a long episode. Well, I I have a guess. Okay, I'm just going to throw out there as a guy who worked in the business and did this stuff and heard people talk. Probably money. (laughs) 
<laughs> you never know, but you never know why an actor decides to not do or not come back for a part. It could either be the production company or it could be the actor's issues. The actor may have a different job that they want to go to. They may have been offered, you know, a pilot and, you know, 24 episodes of something else or a series or a movie or something. And they've decided that they've done all they could with the character on one show and they want to go to another one because it's a better opportunity for their career. Mm-hmm. Very often that happens. So it's nothing personal, but you know, show business is a business and people have to do what they do, even though they may have landed a part on a really good show, still opportunities come up that they really have to think about and be careful of. Or it's money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, quite frankly, sometimes, you know, an actor will be offered less money than they thought they should be for the next season or perhaps fewer episodes or whatever. So again, that becomes a business decision. Again, it's not personal, but it's just a business thing. Yeah. G.W. Bailey, I know that um, I may be speaking out of turn here, but I know that Burt Metcalf was familiar with G.W. And um, I guess this character was something that came up and they decided to go that way. And that's the way it went. Yeah. So I did a little bit of digging on this and couldn't find a lot, but I found a MASH discussion board on the internet uh, from many, many years ago. And somebody posed a similar question and I have nothing to back this up, but somebody posted on there that they had once read an interview with GW Bailey and the episode where Rizzo was introduced that originally was written for Zale, but Johnny Hamer wasn't available when it was time to film. He was off doing other work. The producers then took that part and rewrote it to a new character, which turned out to be Luther Rizzo. They cast G.W. Bailey. Rizzo was in. They liked him. And so, unfortunately, it was kind of just bad luck and bad timing for Johnny Hamer. He was out. Now, there may be so much more to that story. That story might not even be true. I don't know. But that's really the only thing I could find that explained why Johnny Hamer left and G.W. Bailey came in. Somebody alluded to online that maybe it was because Johnny Hamer got sick. Now, I know that he left in 1979. His last episode was Goodbye Radar, but he passed away from cancer in 1989. So it was a decade after the show that he left. I don't know if there's any uh, validity to him being sick, and that's the reason he left also. Again, this is uh, stuff that you can find online. And as we all know, if it's on the Internet, it's true, right? Absolutely. Yeah, certainly. You know, I think probably that has a degree of truth to it. And, you know, all the issues that I brought up as well, all of that kind of may play into it because it is a business and maybe he did have, yeah, certainly he had other jobs and uh, boy, he, if he wasn't available when they needed him, they said, well, okay, let's do this. And that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. That's showbiz. Yeah. And he kept working. He kept doing a lot of stuff after MASH. So that's why I wondered that, you know, the reasoning that he got sick and that's why he left MASH isn't necessarily true because he still did a lot of work post MASH. So, um, you know, we don't know, but those are our best guesses. Which is really what this whole podcast is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. This we could just guy. name this podcast Our Best Guesses. Our Best Guesses, yeah. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> uh, moving on, Rick says, gentlemen, in my best Charles Emerson Winchester the Third voice, I discovered your podcast when Alan Alda tweeted about being on it. In that short amount of time, I have, as of today, listened to every episode. It's as entertaining as the show. I agreed 100% with a fan who recently said your relationship is like Hawkeye and BJ. (laughs) Okay. All right. I've waited to hear them all to write you to make sure my questions weren't already addressed. So I have two, both related to Hawkeye. Perhaps you have theories about them. One, 
Do you find it odd that Hawkeye never got his points and was able to go home? It took Trapper the equivalent of three seasons to do it, but Hawkeye never did. I've often wondered what the reasoning was there. It's not that I'd ever want him to leave the show, but it would seem like something that would need to have been addressed at some point. Two, along those same lines, I find it odd that someone as successful as he obviously was in surgery never was promoted beyond captain. I'll admit to a lack of knowledge as to how the military works, and it could be that they didn't really promote draftees. I also understand his considerable shenanigans may have been looked down upon, but still, would you have any insights there? Thank you both for this incredibly entertaining podcast. I subscribed to a college basketball podcast and had never considered another one until I found MASH Matters. It is outstanding in its field. Thank you for sharing your talents with us. Well, Uh Rick, thank you uh, for your very kind words. Let's see if you can dunk this one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, my best guess. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So as far as the rank, as far as him never being promoted, you know, I also do not have an insight into promotions and the inner workings of promotions within the military. My understanding is that all doctors who entered the service, they entered as captains. Now, why were Burns and Winchester majors? I don't know. Maybe I could see Winchester being given that rank based on age and expertise. On paper, the same for Burns, because he was in regular practice while Hawkeye and Trapper were still in residency. I also wonder if both Frank and Charles may have been helped by a political ally back in the States, you know, connections that they had or their families had. Yes, Hawkeye and Trapper and BJ, too, were all drafted, but so was Winchester and uh, and Henry. Frank, I don't know if he was drafted or not. He does at one point mention something about being an ROTC in college. So maybe as a reservist, he was afforded a higher rank when he entered the army. I don't know. By the way, in the book, Henry is regular army, but in the series, they made him a draftee. So I don't know. I don't know why. As far as Hawkeye, why he was never promoted, I think you're on the right track. He thumbed his uh, nose at authority. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They just never promoted him because of that. I don't think he would have wanted to be promoted. What for? Uh, I mean, he wanted to get out of there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't care about this. And so, yeah. yeah, he would. And, you know, it's probably, you know, when the writers are sitting around trying to come up with storylines for the year, Hawkeye being promoted well, I don't know, you know, be, because now I'm writing, I'll just write a new episode uh, because <laughs> Haw- Hawkeye probably never wanted to be promoted. That might be kind of an interesting story there. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, because I was going to say, well, if he didn't want to be promoted, though, who cares in promotion? If they keep him the captain, that makes more sense maybe for the writing of the show down the road or something. I don't know. But it probably never came up, which is why they never did it. I don't know. Yeah. But I don't know. That's my best guess. Now, uh, yours was a, guess, a good guess, best guess. We're, we're doing <laughs> we're doing pretty good guessing. I, I guess. <laughs> so the discussion about points. Uh, so why did Trapper earn his points before Hawkeye? Uh, under the point system, married men received extra points from the start. And if they had children, that earned them even more points. If they had commendations or medals, they also could earn more points. Now, Trapper never did, but BJ did, although his point discharge was found to be uh, an error in the finale. So how did points work? Well, this is according to the U.S. Army Center of Military History. A soldier would earn four points for every month he served in close combat, 
two points per month for rear echelon duty in Korea and one point for duty elsewhere in the Far East. The army initially stated that enlisted men needed to earn 43 points to be eligible for rotation back to the States, while officers required 55 points. In June of 1952, the Army reduced these requirements to 36 points for enlisted men and 37 points for officers, which contradicts the information in Season 7's Peace on Us, where the point total was actually increased, and that made Hawkeye very mad. All that to say, essentially, it was an easy way to explain why a character was leaving the show. (laughs) (laughs) For Trapper and Henry, it was an easy way out. And and plus that, certainly if... uh if people were promoted or got more points or whatever that was, it would have facilitated them leaving the show, which right. <laughs> yeah. a, lot of, a lot of actors wouldn't have wanted to have happened <laughs> right. to them. I mean, did, did, uh, yeah. I mean, they're not going to send uh, Alan Alda yeah. off the show. <laughs> Sorry, Hawkeye, you reached your point. There's nothing we can do. You got to go. You got to go, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that wasn't going to happen, huh? Evidently, though, it happened for Johnny Hamer. I guess so. He he got enough points and he was out of there. (laughs) He was rotated out. (laughs) Tim writes, this question is for Jeff. He referred to his residuals in episode 66. I understand the concept of residuals, but how do the logistics of it work, especially given the 50-year time frame of MASH? Specifically. How do you know how much you should be getting, (laughs) given that MASH is on pretty much 24 hours a day? Is it based on the contract that the actors initially signed with the studio? Is it based on the syndication contract? This is why, Tim, I've hired a battery of attorneys. (laughs) (laughs) Because number one, the residual process is a very complex one. When a show is on network and it's rerun, you get residuals for each time that show is rerun. So if it's rerun twice or three times, you get paid twice or three times for every time that episode is rerun. When it goes to syndication, the agreement is that television stations buy a group of shows. So they might might pay for or buy or however they do it, uh, 26 episodes. They have the right to show those 26 episodes 53,000 times if they want to. That's the agreement. So they pay a big bunch of money up front and are able to show those shows. So if I was in a show uh, and it was in a syndicated mode, um, I would get paid once based on the contract for that, even though they can show it 52 more times. That's syndicated. That's the big difference between network reruns and syndication reruns. How much I should be getting is <laughs> can I name the figure uh, and say what I want? I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, but I have a union, the Screen Actors Guild, and the Screen Actors Guild is sort of the police force for those residuals for every actor on the planet. I know that our good friend Loretta Swit is very active with the Screen Actors Guild and kind of staying on top of residuals and how they're paid to everybody on the show. And we all thank her for doing that. But basically, Screen Actors Guild is really the the gatekeeper and the, and the guardian of all those residuals and how they're paid and if they're paid 
accurately. Could I disagree with something? Could I say, oh, well, yes. But again, I think I'd have to hire a battery of attorneys because it's a very complicated thing to have to navigate. So I'm happy. Certainly I've been paid okay and I get residuals and some of them are fun and some of them are not as fun, but I don't don't send any of them back. Uh, I'm very grateful to have been there and I'm grateful for the opportunity to get residuals. So I hope that answers your question. You graciously, a little while back, you scanned and sent me some photos of a few of your residual checks. And I don't want to give anything away, but I'm going to put the pictures of those checks in our show notes for this episode. If you want to go see how much uh, some of these checks are for, I mean, it's very gracious of you to share this sensitive financial information with us, Jeff. It really is. I'm hoping for sympathy and perhaps maybe (laughs) donations, donations in care of match matters. Yes. Uh, matchmatters.com slash support to become a Patreon VIP. Uh, I think we're going to see a rush of uh, donations coming into Patreon after people see these pictures of your residual checks that we're going to post for the show notes for this episode. Episode 7-7th, you can go to uh, mashmatters.com and look for those pictures and the show notes for this episode. Now, they were they were residuals from another show, not from MASH. So gotcha. They were, yeah. Okay. Uh, and I will include a hangdog look photograph of me as well, so you can put it right next to them. <laughs> Wait, were these shoppers casino residuals? Is that what we have? Is that what this is? I quit. I'm not going to take this anymore. Jeff has been rotated home. He's got enough points. I got points. He's out. Oh, thank goodness. G.W. Bailey's going to come in next week as the new host. Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. Wonderful meeting you. Little Billy Bubba's in the car, but we'll bring him in later. All right, moving on. Uh, Chuck says, Jeff and Ryan finally caught up with the podcast, and I thought I'd write about Igor's name and a way to make the Maxwell response to Major Burns work. Having grown up on the show, I always thought Igor was the nickname of Private Straminsky. While I didn't recall the Maxwell moment until hearing it on the podcast, why can't the character be Maxwell Igor Straminsky? It fits. His dining creations were monstrous. (laughs) He goes on to say, as long as I'm writing this, I would also ask if any of the actors had issues with the overt politics in the show. Was that part of the reason Wayne Rogers left? Thanks for the podcast and keep it going, gents. Well, first of all, the idea that uh, your nickname was Igor and that wasn't your actual name. So Maxwell Igor Straminsky. Jeff, what are your thoughts on that theory? Well, uh, certainly not a bad idea. If we if the show comes back, I think it would be a good idea to present that idea to the writers and then they could do an episode about it. I think we could just base the whole spinoff for your character. I like that. I like that even better than mine. Yes, absolutely. Spinoff. Now, he also asks if any of the actors had issues with the overt politics in the show. And of course, you know, politics has always been a thing. It's always been people on the right, people on the left, yelling, fighting, (laughs) despising one another, you know, undercutting. Of course, that's just Hollywood, too. (laughs) That's a America, by yeah, God. <laughs> but everything we've heard from everybody, you've told stories, everybody we've interviewed told stories, how great of a set it was, how everybody worked together. But did politics ever play into any drama behind the scenes? Uh, to my knowledge, never. There was never any political shenanigans or issues going on. Darn it. And, yeah, I wish I could say something really juicy. I keep waiting for some real dirt here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <sighs> this podcast would fly if we had dirt. We'd get at least a dozen more listeners. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. No, I, uh, there was never any uh, political issues about anything. And, and you, the reason Wayne Rogers left is has nothing to do with the politics that are in the country or the world. It was his politics and his own issues about, you know, what was going on with the politics of the scripts, you know, and, and this is, uh, Wayne Rogers never said this to me, but over the years, we've all sort of absorbed this information that he left because he felt that the scripts were not uh, being, you know, focused on him in the way that he would uh, prefer them to have been focused. So he just had a little problem with it. And that's kind of why he went on. But he was a very, 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 very successful businessman. And I don't think he was worried about not having a job if he left the show. Mm-hmm. A lot of actors would be, but he wasn't. So he went on to do a lot of stuff in, in the business world. But I, that's, in my opinion, why he, it had nothing to do with the politics of the world or the country. Well, that's a shame. That is too bad. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to move on now to a voicemail. This one coming from Jeff. Not you, Jeff, but another Jeff. Okay. Hi, Ryan and Jeff. This is Jeff from Southern Idaho. First off, Ryan, I want to say that I appreciate your love for Winchester. It has made me kind of reevaluate my feelings about him. I always kind of disliked him. But because of your love for him, I have actually started to love him more myself. In fact, he has kind of become one of my favorite characters. I love his character growth. I love his art. I love how complex he is. I love the little nuances of his character. And honestly, he has almost become my favorite character. Um, My favorite character used to be BJ. I still love him to death. But Winchester, I think, has kind of taken that, that first spot for me because he is just, I think he might be one of the most human characters of of the show because you see the just how complex he is. And then one more question I got for Jeff. Um, if you could have played any other character instead of Igor or if you could have created a character or done something that was different from Igor, what would you want to be? Who would you want to be? I, I just, I think it'd be kind of interesting to see if you could, you know, kind of think outside the box and come up with something different. Um, I look forward to hearing your answer and your responses. Anyway, thanks, guys. Love you. Talk to you later. Hmm. Well, thank you. Um, nice that you have joined the Winchester Admiration Society. <laughs> we are always welcoming new members. Interesting question he asked there at the end. If there was another character that you could have played or uh, created or whatever on MASH, who would that character have been? Well, uh, yeah. Thanks for the question, Jeff. I really enjoy your name. I think that's a special, <laughs> extra special name. Uh, you know, I am a guy who comedically likes to respond to uh, have trouble with authority. So the authority in the camp would have certainly been, well, there were a few majors and so forth, but Colonel Potter would have been a great authority figure to having uh, to repeatedly respond to. And I know great performances from Gary Berghoff and then later Klinger uh, in that position. But I, if I was, you know, to have my druthers, I would, wouldn't have minded being promoted to the, uh, to Colonel Potter's office and being some sort of his assistant. Cause I think that would have been fun. Oh, uh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> oh, that would have been yeah. great. I would have enjoyed that cause he was so good at being authoritative, uh, especially with, you know, guys like me <laughs> and his, his bewilderment <laughs> at, at somebody like my bewilderment would have been fun to watch. So that would have been my take. I would have liked to have been in that office and had that part. That's great. Yeah. 
I personally would have liked to have seen your take on Major Margaret Houlihan. <laughs> well, that's okay. All right. I, that was my second choice. It was my second right. choice. Maybe Peggy Bigelow. That's a whole different show that we could, <laughs> I think, get into. Yeah, I think it starred uh, Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari, didn't I it? think so. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Google that one too, youngins. Youngins. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Okay. And Jim asks the question, Jeff, so many times during the show, people have lines like, crummy war, this place stinks. I guess that's for the censors. My question is, during the first few takes of these, would people say, Effing war, uh, this place sucks to get that out of their system before the scene printed? Uh, no. <laughs> no, <laughs> they didn't. Uh-huh. And I'll say why. I mean, it certainly seems like you would, but the way it works is when the scripts are first handed to everybody on the show, there was a table read. So everybody would sit around and read the script out loud. And then after that, you'd get up and kind of rehearse those scenes, just go through it kind of for the blocking for the cameras and the light guys and everybody. So you'd go through each scene and you say the words, not really heavy duty, but you go through them all. So in that moment, people may have had some fun with those statements. (laughs) Uh, And they would have done it as a joke, not necessarily as a way to get it out of their system. So they would Mm -hmm. probably have said those things as something funny to elicit big laughs from the crew and everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, But by the time all that goes by and you get on the set, uh, once that table reading is done and you get and all the scripts go back to the writers and they do the final thing and they send you the final script, that's all done and everything's out of your system in that respect. So you stick with those words on that page. You're just in that head. You're not in the in the world of kind of wanting to make a point and say that just to get big laughs uh, from the crew and everybody. You've pretty much gotten it out of your system before that, if it, gotcha. if you wanted to, if you needed to. And I mean, occasionally, and I've seen some of the mash bloopers that are out there. Occasionally, some naughty words might uh, <laughs> be dropped yeah. when a line is uh, forgotten, or you know, or something goes wrong with the set piece, or something like that. Uh, there were there were the occasional words, but yeah. as far as replacing those words in the actual script, you're you're saying that that just didn't happen. That just didn't happen. No. All right. Well, that thing sucks. <laughs> Still looking for some dirt here. That was good. I wish I'd have said that. That was good. Moving on to Mark. Mark says, hello, Jeff and Ryan. I can't tell you how impactful your podcast has been on me. Jeff, it is absolutely great to hear of your experiences on the working end of MASH. My grandfather was a grip for Fox for many years, and I love to hear his stories from the sets that he helped build, just as I've enjoyed your stories. This particular email has me asking a burning question, and I have tried several different ointments. <laughs> <laughs> Around episode 30-ish of MASH Matters, it was mentioned that there was a medical personnel that helped with the actor's use of medical terminology. In one episode with BJ, he is working with a patient that has ringing in his ears. BJ then tells the other character that it's tinnitus, as opposed to the more common pronunciation, tinnitus. This is one of the things in all of Mashdom that drives me crazy. I have spoken to some healthcare workers that have told me that they have heard doctors say it both ways. Ryan and Jeff, you are being asked to put my mind at ease after all these years. Mm. What is the proper pronunciation of tinnitus or tinnitus? Mm-hmm. In closing, I want to point out that I have always enjoyed the proper pronunciation of latricium. As a school teacher, I have recommended to many a student that they need to rest their latricium so it wouldn't get damaged. <laughs> Thank you both again for allowing our huge MASH family these moments of reminiscing from my swamp to yours, Mark. Hmm. 
you know, I am not a professional in the medical field. Mm -hmm. So again, I went on the old Google machine and I started doing some digging and I found a really good answer Mm -hmm. from a doctor, an audiologist named Dr. Ben Thompson. And he actually has a video on YouTube Mm -hmm. where he explains this, but I'm going to play just a snippet of this where he gives a brief explanation of how you pronounce it and why it's pronounced that way. Hey, my name is Dr. Ben Thompson, audiologist and tinnitus specialist in California. The correct way to pronounce the word is tinnitus. The other way to pronounce the ringing in your ears is tinnitus. That uses the section itis. That typically refers to inflammation like laryngitis, inflammation of the throat. You do not have inflammation in your ear when you hear ringing in the ears. It's actually a response from the cochlea, the hearing organ, sending a filtered signal up to the auditory brain. So there's no inflammation happening. Therefore, tinnitus medically isn't correct. So for that reason, the medical field pronounces it tinnitus. It's commonly pronounced as tinnitus and that's okay. So what you need to know is that both pronunciations are acceptable, but there's one that's technically appropriate and that's tinnitus. Well, that's interesting, but I also <laughs> I also conferred with my uh, my uncle Gus, who uh, is a, a doctor of something. I don't know what it is. He has feathers and things around, but he assured me that the correct way to say that word is tinnitus. So I don't know whether people want to start saying it like that. But that's the way Gus said tinnitus or, or tinnitus. Either way, the rhythm is different. All right. So we're going to go with Dr. Uncle Gus's uh, definitive answer. I think so. All right. Thank you. Uh, So I hope that that helps answer your question, Mark. I will put a link to that entire video. It's only two minutes long. It doesn't go on much longer than that, but I'll put Dr. Ben Thompson, audiologist video in the show notes for this episode. So when you're going and seeing all the money that Jeff makes on his uh, residuals check, you can also click on the link and get more of that answer. Uh, Ryan, could you, I I missed that. I, my tinnitus is just (laughs) giving me problems. Did you say that one more time? I said, let's move on. Oh, okay. All right. Jessica asked this question. Dear Jeff and Ryan, my name is Jessica, and I'm a longtime listener and one of your Patreon supporters. That's good. Thank you very much, Jessica. I am also one of the younger fans of MASH. I remember reruns being on TV at my dad's house when I was growing up. I first really watched the show when I was 16, and I'm still a big fan as a first-year graduate student. Well, that's pretty impressive. I'm writing this email to thank you both. I started listening to your podcast in the fall of 2020 when I began writing my senior honors history thesis about MASH as a way to get more information about the show. Well, that is really cool. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that she should do that, but it's all right. Thanks for doing it anyway. My paper focused on how the show being made at the same time as the equal rights movement affected the writing of many of the characters, uh, specifically Hawkeye and Margaret. I also discussed how the show changed as the national dialogue around women and masculinity shifted. Oh boy, we're getting into some (laughs) thick waters here. (laughs) Thank you for using your podcast to share the history of MASH and details from behind the scenes. And thank you for conducting all the interviews with the cast and crew. I actually was able to use some of the quotes from your interviews as evidence in my thesis, and it helped me to graduate with honors in history. Wow. Thank you for all your hard work, and I look forward to each new episode. Here's looking up your old address. Wow. Well, this is impressive. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first time we've ever heard of this. Wow. Graduating with honors in history. Gee, after listening to the podcast. I know. I wonder what school she goes to, what kind of diploma she got. I don't know. (laughs) 
Uh, was there a question in there? I'm sorry. I, no, uh, no, no question. No question. She I just wanted to thank us yeah. for helping her pass history, I guess. Well, you know, there, okay, because she addresses the dialogue around women and the shifting of masculinity, which has happened to me many times. Uh, and that goes back to our previous conversation. But anyway, there was, uh, you know, uh, Margaret Houlihan certainly was a... Uh, <laughs> How you say this, a, a supporter of rights of everybody, male rights, female rights, and everything. And she was a very strong person, still is, and a strong character. So yeah, she was very involved with that, certainly. And uh, so was uh, Alan. Mm-hmm. In fact, Alan sometimes took hits about, you know, oh, you're just supporting two women all the time. Right. You know, and that was kind of a silly thing to say. And that finally went away because people realized how right he was. But yeah, but that's pretty cool. Uh, Congratulations, Jessica, for all your hard work. And please keep it up. You have been listening to Jeff and his shifting masculinity. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Uh, Shifting masculinity and terrible tiny (laughs) tooth. No, congratulations, Jessica. Yeah, and really. Thank you for making us a small part, a uh, very small part of your thesis. And uh, yeah. congratulations on graduating with honors. That's quite an honor, huh, to be part of that, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, it I'm, is. We're pretty cool. We should get uh, more money per week, I think, from the company. Well, we are getting money from our Patreon VIPs, including our friend Jessica right there. Thank you for being a, a Patreon VIP. And we also want to salute some more VIPs right now, including Private Richard Hamilton. Private Matthew Booth. Corporal Daniel Montgomery. Corporal Trina Conrad. Captain Michael Leodoro. Captain Steve Field. Major Kevin Stallings. And Major Charlie Lipset. You too can support the show, mashmatters.com slash support, and become a Mash Matters VIP. Help to keep the lights on and the wheels a-running. And the tinnitus a-ringing. <laughs> and the masculinity shifting. shifting. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, baby. All right. We are wrapping up our 7th episode of MASH Matters, and uh, I believe we have another special guest joining us on our next episode. We do. A, a really special guest. Yeah. So special, we can't even remember who he is. We don't know who he is, but we'll find him. We'll find him or her, and we we'll drag him. Guest. We got to get a guest. <laughs> hey, anybody out there want to be a guest on MASH Matters? <laughs> no. It'll be a big surprise. Yeah, it will be. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can reach out to us, uh, mashmatterspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can listen to these episodes, all the back episodes. You can listen on your favorite podcast player or at mashmatters.com. And as always, you can leave a voicemail under three minutes in length at 513-436-4077. Yeah. And you know, we do have a special guest coming up. I made light of that, but it is real true. This is a good one. Don't miss this special guest coming up. It'll be great. (laughs) And we hope to have more special guests in the coming months as we commemorate the 50th year of MASH. Wow, this is big. This is big. Do we get like gold watches or anything for this? Oh, I'd like a gold watch. Ooh, that would be fun. You can uh, also send gold watches to P.O. Box 4077. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Why didn't we get a P.O. Box 4077? Oh, that would have been good. Ooh. All right. Until next time, here's looking up your old address. (laughs) 